If you were to take 10 people and put them in a room together and ask them what are the most complicated things to understand in our world, you'd probably get answers like, well, rocket science and particle physics and quantum dynamics and human biology and why do some people love cats and, and you know, really complicated things like those. And those are complicated, but, but here's my theory. I believe that there are some other things that are more complicated than those are that wouldn't even get mentioned in the top 50. And actually the things that we are going to be studying in this sermon series we're launching today are on that list. Topics we're going to be addressing in this It's Complicated series are things like marriage and parenting and money and work and dating and neighbors and people with differing worldviews than what we have Now, how is it that I can say that those can be even more complicated than those former things which sound so complicated to all of us? Well, in those former things, what you have are things that operate according to certain fixed laws that are in play sort of every time you try to take it to its conclusion. But in the case of the things that we're going to be studying in this series, whether it be relationship with another person or with the priority, there are variables And things are constantly changing and morphing and the way that you interact with that other person changes because that person changes and because you change as well. So you can't interact with your teenager the same way you interacted with them when they were a toddler, even though some of the behaviors might be the same. You can't do that because they're changing and because you're changing. And so there's no constant. There's always variables that are at play, which makes it very complicated and very difficult to get from point A to point B and do so in a way that you can just constantly keep moving it forward and constantly keep growing. And that is certainly the case in the topic that we're going to be addressing today as we kick this off, and that's marriage. Now, I know that as we get started in a, ser- in a series where one of the topics is marriage or get started just today in marriage, that this strikes all of us differently because we're not all at the same stage. Some of us have been married a long time. Some are newlywed. Some of us aren't even married. Maybe you're single, never married or divorced or maybe you're a widow or widower. Could be that you're one of the young people sitting in the room or listening today and it's like, well, I'm not married and so why did I even come today? Well, I believe that there are principles that we're going to be looking at that it's important that we're together because some of you are going to get married. If you're one of the young people, if you can take the things we're gonna be talking about today and if you can tuck them away and bring them into the relationships that you enter into, you're going to be so far ahead of the game and your spouse is going to be so grateful for you and you can say, well, don't thank me, thank Pastor Jeff, all right? So we can be thinking forward about that. But so maybe you're going to be married and so there's benefit there or even the principles we're gonna be talking about are things that you can take and apply in other relationships that you are in as well. So I do believe that there is definitely something here for all of us. But I know that it does also strike us, even those of us who are married in different ways, the idea that we're gonna be talking about marriage. For most of the women, you're like, yes, a sermon on marriage. I'm so excited about this. Honey, listen carefully, right? And most of the guys are sitting there and they're hearing a sermon on marriage and it's like, oh man, I wonder if my dentist would be available for a root canal right now because I'd rather be there, right? It's not that guys don't want to work on our marriage relationships. It's just that when the topic comes up of working on our marriage, we know that there must be something I did wrong, And there's something that I should fix. It can kind of be illustrated just by the way that you respond to three words that might be said by your spouse. 
How would you react if your spouse came to you and said, can we talk? See, if, uh, if the wife says that to the husband, the husband assumes that there's a problem and that they're probably at fault, right? That's just sort of the natural default. If a husband says that to his wife, oh, never mind. A husband would never say that to his wife. No, but let's just say that just, it just did get said, can we talk, right? He assumes that there must be, again, some problem. But the wife would think, yes, I've been waiting for you to ask me that question. I would love to talk about this. So we come at this from different points of view, and I think if we can just acknowledge that as we get started and go ahead and put down the defenses that you might just feel kind of bubbling up in you a little bit or the resistance to, to what might be said or the desire to just check out. If you'll check in instead, I believe that the things that we're going to be talking about here, the principles we're going to be looking at will provide for us wisdom in moving these relationships forward regardless of where you see your relationship to be. Whether you see yourself in a place where there's a lot of growth that has to happen or whether you think that uh, the marriage is on very good and solid ground, regardless of where we are, this wisdom is going to help us, I do believe. And we find that in Ephesians chapter 5. And if you'd like, you can go ahead and turn there. We'll get to that passage here in just a few moments. But Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul is giving some very pertinent and timely advice to families, to spouses on how to move relationships forward. So what is it that makes marriages so complicated? Why does every marriage have a time or a season when there are challenges that are present in the relationship? And can we just start there? Can we just put it out there and acknowledge that every relationship, every marriage has at least times, if not seasons, where there are challenges? where there are problems, where there are difficulties that have to be worked through. We even heard that from the folks on the video as we got started. Now, I'm certainly not the first person to acknowledge this, but the fact of the matter is that down, if you'll boil some things down, I think one of the things that we can come to recognize is really right at the core of challenging relationships are expectations, our expectations. And the thing that makes it so mind-boggling is that a lot of times we don't even realize that those expectations are there, that we're bringing them into the relationship. No one stands at the altar and says, I do as long as you will take all of these expectations that I have for you and meet them in our marriage. Nobody says that, but they're there. Of course, we don't call them expectations. I don't say, hey, honey, these are the expectations that I have for you as we get married or as we move our way through these years of marriage. We don't call them expectations. We call them dreams and hopes and aspirations and desires and plans that we have for our marriage. There are lots of them. For instance, where are you going to live? You're going to rent or you're going to own? You're going to have a big house or you're going to have a little house? You're going to live near his parents or you're going to live near her parents? Are you going to have pets or not have pets? You're going to live in a big city or live in wampum? Well, what's it going to be when it comes to your house, right? How are you going to spend your money? Are you going to have a budget? How much are you going to save? How much are you going to give? How are you going to spend your time? Are you going to go on big vacations? Or are you going to largely just stay 
home? Are you going to be hanging out with all the same friends you had when you were single or now that you're married? Are you primarily just going to be hanging out with your spouse? Or what about the holidays? Are you going to spend them primarily with his family? Are you going to spend them primarily with her family? I heard about one woman who went to her husband and said, I know that this can be a tension in relationships, and so I just want you to know, honey, that we can spend every holiday with your family. She said, well, I, I just want three. You can have all the others. I just want three. Just Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter. You can have Boss's Day. You can have Groundhog Day, National Pancake Day, whatever you want. I just have those other three. How are you going to handle those sort of circumstances? How many kids are you going to have? You're going to have a little family. You're going to have a big family. You're going to give birth to a football team. I mean, what's it going to be? You need to know these things. How are you going to re- resolve conflict? Some couples are avoiders. The conflict comes up and they bury it. They pretend that it's not there. Other couples are fleers. It comes up and they just sort of run in different directions, kind of a form of avoidance. Other couples are yellers. Something comes up and it's like you fight it out and you raise your voice. And if you have an avoider that marries a yeller, when that first fight comes up, the avoider is like, we must be headed for divorce because I've never heard anybody talk to me quite like that before. What about when it comes to sexual intimacy? How often? How do you initiate? How do you say no? These are important things that we need to think about and know about. In all of these areas, we have dreams and hopes and plans, and we want to move ourselves forward and so excited about how we're going to, to live as a couple as we move into all of these realms, and it's so innocent and it's so wonderful, and we just start to pursue them, not recognizing that what we're really bringing into the relationship and depositing now on the shoulders of our spouse are expectations. And obligations, because I've been longing for this as we get into our relationship. And now this is the reality of pulling this off, is that you're expecting me to provide that for you, and and I'm expecting you to provide that for me back and forth, and it gets things very complicated. Now, some of that can be mitigated by open communication. And here for singles, as you think about entering into that sort of relationship, these are all topics that need to be discussed, that need to be worked through and talked through so that when you get into the relationship that you know where you are and that you know where it is that you are going to be headed instead of just making assumptions. Now, that doesn't mean you have to marry somebody who has your exact same set of dreams. Actually, that person isn't even out there you do need to have your eyes open. So doing work ahead of time will certainly be paying off. Now, it's important to understand that just because you have different dreams, that doesn't mean that one of you is right and the other of you is wrong. Because we simply have those dreams and those desires and those plans that rise up in us typically because of our upbringing. And most of us are pursuing something in marriage that looks very much like what our parents had. It's not that it's right or that it's wrong. It's just what I've had in my experience. And your spouse is doing the same thing. And so you can see why sometimes there are tensions that come in back and forth. One woman grew up in a home that was right next to her grandparents. 
And so that was something she could always just every day go over and see her grandparents. And so when her daughter grew up, she wanted to live right next to her parents so that her child could have that same experience. But her husband is like, there is no chance in the world that I'm going to live that close to your parents, that close to my in-laws. We'll move next to them over my dead body. Now she lives next to her parents alone in the trials next month. For most of us, our experience becomes the default that we go after. Of course, it can be just the opposite. It could be that what you saw in your home of origin as you were growing up was of such a nature that you're like, the only thing I want to be sure in my marriage is that it's nothing like my parents. And there are things that you've seen and things you have experienced, and it's just you very much do not want to have that. We're just a product of our parents, of our upbringing, of our culture. That can be another influence of TV, what it is that we see, the relationships we see there or maybe some other dynamic relationship that you were a part of or that you were able to witness as you were growing up. All of these things create a filter through which we see marriage and through which we move forward and create and establish our own hopes and dreams. They're not right, they're not wrong. It's just oftentimes they're different. And when we don't work our way through those, it creates a certain expectation that sometimes can create that challenge. And when that happens, there are typically three different outcomes when those sorts of tensions come, the outcomes of expectations. The first of those is what we might call I win. That's where one person is fighting for their own way. They're trying to convince their spouse that my way is the right way and that my dreams are the ones that we ought to be pursuing and my dreams are the ones that we ought to be going after. And they can't understand it if their spouse won't help them get to that place. Now the fact of the matter is oftentimes one of the spouses or the other is very willing to allow the other person to win, at least for a time. But typically what happens is that after a period of time, they start to just kind of open their eyes and say, why do you always have to win? Why does it always have to be your way? Why can't it be my way some of the time? And they start to dig in their heels and all of a sudden you start to find tension. I win is one of the outcomes of expectations. Another one is I give in. I give in. You see this in a lot of relationships also where one of the person, persons is very happy and willing to allow that other person to be the one who typically gets their way. But as we've just said, that sort of sacrifice can get old. And eventually, at some point, unbeknownst to either of you, you just are kind of tired of it and you're ready for it to go a different direction. It creates tension and issues and problems. Incidentally, another form of the I give in that pops up all the time is compromise. You might say, well, I thought that compromise was a good thing. In fact, when we had our marriage counseling, they said compromise is the thing that is going to allow you to thrive in marriage. And there are benefits to compromising. There's no doubt about that. But you also need to recognize the fact that oftentimes compromise, what comes right along with it, is scorekeeping. So yes, you're compromising, but you're paying attention to who's compromising more. Yeah, we went to your parents last year for Christmas, so we're going to my parents this year for Christmas. Yeah, I know, but when we went to my parents, we only went for three days, and you're talking about going to to your parents for five days. There's nothing fair about that. And so the compromise, while it sounds good and oftentimes has good pieces to it, can also be fraught with disaster or it's a loaded solution. So I win, I give in, or the third is I get out. 
You get to the place where it's like, I don't understand why it is that you won't just allow me to have these things that are so important to me. That mean so much, and you know they mean so much to me, but you're not helping me get to the place where I'm those, experiencing those things, and things just get worse and worse and worse until one person says, fine, I'm just going to get out. But what we don't realize is happening in that moment when we choose to get out is that it's not that we're running to something else that is going to be so much better. It's that what we're really doing is we're grabbing up, we're collecting up all of our dreams and all of our hopes and all of our plans, and we're just simply walking them over and we're depositing in them in the lap of somebody else's expectations for that relationship now. That's not the solution. That's not the solution. So if I win and I give in and I get out or not the solution, what is? So glad you asked. This is where we come to that passage. That passage in Ephesians chapter 5 that has so much to say to us, to help us to navigate where we are and where it is that we desire to go and how we get there together in unity as a couple. Now, I need to warn you as we get into this that you're probably not going to like it. Now, Okay, it's in the Bible, so some of you are like, well, it's in the Bible, so I've got to like it, and I will like it because of that, and that's great, and that's, that's good. Then maybe what I should just say is this, this is not going to be your natural go-to inclination. In fact, the answer that we're going to look at is probably pretty much the opposite of the way that you naturally would choose to operate. So what is it? Paul gives it to us in verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 5. It says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There it is. That word. Submission. We don't like that word submission. In fact, submission has a pretty bad PR, a pretty bad image today. It sounds old-fashioned. It sounds out of date. It sounds demeaning. And if we're to be honest, it has been used in that way. It's gotten the bad rap in many circles because it's been abused and the abuse has come, in, come at the hands of people who have chosen to use it as a way to try to get somebody else or manipulate somebody else to do what it is that they want to have done. But that's really not what it's about at all. That's backwards. Submission is not something to be demanded. It is something to be offered. It is so important that we would get that and so different from what it is that, that the world is believed, and what even the church at some times and in some places is taught. It's not something to be demanded. Submission is only appropriately expressed as it is offered from one person toward another. And where it is, it's a beautiful thing. It's a desirable thing. But where it's demanded, especially in marriage, it's just a means of trying to manipulate the other person into fulfilling your expectations and doing things your way. Now, the interesting thing to me in this whole notion of submission is that we can react so strongly against it. It's like the word comes up, it's like, I don't want anything to do with that. All these abuses. But the fact of the matter is it's not a foreign concept to you. Especially if you're married here today, it is not a foreign concept to you because virtually all of you, all of us who are married, we're very happily submitting to our spouse at some point in the past, probably while you were dating. It's like I'm willing to do whatever is necessary to woo this woman, to, to interest this guy, 
to move this forward, and I'm so very happy to provide whatever it is that they would love to have. I want them to have that. Genuinely, I want them to have that. And so we'll go to submission, and we'll very happily allow what is at the top of their list to be the thing that we are going and pursuing. No one was coercing you, but guys, during that period, you were buying flowers for your spouse, you were writing love letters, you were watching chick flicks. This is not natural male behavior, all right? Ladies, even though he told you he loves watching The Notebook with you, and then he'd love to watch anything with Ryan Reynolds and Leonardo DiCaprio, he's lying. He's doing that for you. And on the flip side, you have ladies riding in dirty, muddy trucks, saying how wonderful he looks in that dirty, old, ratty T-shirt he's been wearing since high school. Guys, I'm telling you this, as soon as you're married, that T-shirt is history. You're going to mar- or you're gonna go to wear it one day, and you go to your closet, and it's like it's just gone. It mysteriously disappeared. No explanation, nothing. It's just gone. I know, all right? Take, take my word for this, all right? I know that this is how this happens. But eventually, the submission that we're so happy to give at some point, all of a sudden now it becomes a burden. And it's something we're not so willing to give anymore. And our own interests and our own desires start to rise up. And it's like, why can't I have it my way? We're back to expectations and living for ourselves. So in verse 21, Paul tells us to submit to one another and to make sure there's no confusion and to press the point a little bit further. He goes on in verse 22, he says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Here again, do not slip into the trap of thinking that this is demeaning to women in any way, shape, or form, or that it's devaluing them below men in any way. That is not what this text is saying. This is not a lowering of the view of women. It's a raising of the responsibility that they have in relationship. There are certain roles and responsibilities that all of us have in marriage relationships. And he's simply acknowledging the fact that we need to fulfill what it is that God has given us to fulfill. And what that is basically is looking to the interests of the others ahead of yourself. That's a principle that we are all called to within the Scriptures. Don't just look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And that is great marriage advice, even though it's not in a passage on marriage. It's basically what we're talking about here today. Of course, it's not just the wives that have a role to play and few verses later in verse 25, this is actually the real kicker in this passage. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is the real bombshell verse in this passage. And here's why. In the first century, it was completely expected that someone would say, wives, you need to submit to your husbands. That's simply the way that the culture operated. It's the way that every circumstance operated between men and women in that culture but when he stands up and he says and wives or excuse me and husbands love your wives that's what floored them that was what was not a part of the culture at that time husbands did not love their wives husbands basically saw their wives as commodities to serve them to give them children to take care of the house and so on. The notion that they were to be loved is the thing that would have caught them off guard. 
in the culture, this passage was raising the view and the value of women many times over. Because it's not just saying, guys, you need to love your wives a little bit. Saying you need to love your wives as Christ loved the church. How was that? Fully, completely, with his very life, he gave everything he possibly could give. He submitted himself to the will of the Father and accomplished for us salvation. Accomplished for us that which we couldn't ever do for ourselves. He's saying, love your wife like that. Doing for her what she can't do for herself. Not that she's unable, but that you can come and provide in a special and a unique way. And as if that wasn't enough, Paul goes on in verse 28 to say, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Paul knows that everybody's attentive to their own body, right? Just think of all of the things that you do to your body. You manicure it, you pedicure it, you pierce it, you tan it, you decorate it, you Botox it, you Rogaine it if there's not enough growth, you lipo it if there's too much growth, right? All sorts of things that we do to our bodies. He says, I want you to be just as attentive to your spouse as you are to yourself. Look to the interests of others above your own. Submission. These things are all wrapped in together with one another. Now, I know what you're thinking. At least some of you are thinking, Pastor Jeff, you just don't understand my house. If I was to do that, if I was actually to submit to my spouse, they would just take advantage of me. You don't know how bad that would be. I would be the one making the sacrifices and they would be take, 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 take. And I get that. And I don't doubt that that is true in your relationship. But what you need to understand is that if that's what you fear, what has happened is that you have created in your home an adversarial relationship between yourself and your spouse. So that if you ever have the opportunity to take some ground, the very last thing that you ever want to do is relinquish that ground back to your opponent. And I'm using that word intentionally because you've allowed your home to be a collection of two opponents who are working against one another instead of working for one another. But thankfully, the situation is not hopeless. Just as there has been negative learned behavior that is operating in your home, you can turn that around. Now, it's not easy. Remember, it's complicated. But that doesn't mean that it can't be done. And the reason it won't be easy is because it's going to require somebody to take a risk. Somebody's going to have to go first and be willing to step out there and be the one to submit and be the one to sacrifice on behalf of the other person, knowing that they might be taken advantage of as they do so. But that doesn't mean that it's wrong to do. As you step into that, be up front with the other person. Say, I know that this is going to be different for you. I know that you're going to see something different in the way that I'm relating to you. But I just want you to know here is why. And here's, here's the, the, the reason I want to do so. And the, and the opportunities that I think are ours if we can move forward in this regard. And ask them to be a willing participant in it all. You can turn it around and it's definitely worth, worth the risk. Yes, it's complicated. But it can be done. See, the reason so many marriages are in trouble today is because nobody's willing to go first. Nobody's willing to swallow their pride and say, okay, 
It may or may not be my fault, but we're going to go forward with this. And as a result, relationships just keep spiraling downward and downward as each side is just digging their heels more and more until they come to the end where somebody just says, well, I guess our relationship is just irreconcilable. And I suggest to you, no, it's not irreconcilable. It's just, just that there's unwillingness. Because we're too proud. We don't want to be the person who steps out and goes first. Because we're afraid of how they'll respond. Because we just don't want to step in when it looks like they're not ones who are going to be willing to step back. As we do so. Do you want to know how to change your spouse? I'll tell you. You just nag and nag and nag and nag and nag. And they're just going to change. You know what? Sometimes they will. If you do that, sometimes they will. Maybe for a couple of days. Maybe for a few weeks it'll last. But that's going to be about it. And it's going to be over at that point. You don't change your spouse by nagging them, by pointing out their flaws, by punishing them, by withholding kindness and civility and sex. If you want to change your spouse... You're going to have to change yourself. You're the only one that you have any control over changing anyway. Now, I know that you're probably saying, yeah, but my spouse is the one who is most at fault in this, so if anybody should go first, it should be my spouse who has to go first. And you might be right. They might be more at fault than you are, but what you need to ask yourself is, would I rather be right or would I rather be reconciled? So very important that we would answer that question. Wouldn't you rather have done more than what was deserved by the other person and found healing instead of being able to stand up and say, I told you so in divorce court? Besides, what is the standard by which we are told to operate in these verses? We're to operate in the way that Christ operated toward us. How did Christ operate? He stepped out and he met the need for people who didn't deserve it. He was the one who should have had people serving him. The ones he was serving are people that stood against him again and again and again and sinned against him again and again and again. And he said, here, let me do what you do not deserve for your benefit, for your sake. And Paul says, love your spouse like Christ loves the church. What's the loss? The loss is maybe that the relationship will continue to spiral downward, which it is already doing. The gain is that the relationship can be won back. Now, I recognize that we are at different places along the journey. Some of you are already like spiraling. You're just about at the place where it's over. Some of you are at a place where you'd say, you know what? A lot of that already happens in our relationship. And praise God for that. But all of us can press this forward further because we all have that internal selfishness that is going to naturally lead us toward pursuing our own interests. And the longer you're married, the, the greater the possibility of that tension rising up continues to be. It is complicated and it stays complicated, which is why we can't make assumptions, why we need to continue with open and honest communication. But I do believe, in the depths of my heart, 
that if we can take and learn what it is that Paul is calling us to here, if we can learn to submit to one another, what we're going to discover is what Jesus discovered as He gave His all, but He experienced the victory in the relationship between Him and the church, between Him and us, can be as tight and wonderful as ever. And the same thing can happen in your relationship. So wherever you are, continue to press it forward. You might even want to take some of these things and, and if you dare to chat about that with your spouse. Say, honey, what, where are the areas where the things that I might see as dreams you might perceive as just expectations and obligations and, and challenges and problems? just so that you might understand, just so that you might have a basis from which to move forward. I know that all of our relationships can thrive so much more. There's so many challenges that are beating against our homes, that are beating against our marriages. This is one way Paul says you can overcome that. You don't need to succumb to that, and you can experience the victory and the joy that comes as we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much for this passage. Lord, I thank you for what it is that we have an example from Jesus himself. And I pray that our relationships would be modeled after Christ. That we would live in the way that you have called us to live. That we would demonstrate that selflessness, that willingness to sacrifice and, Lord, submit Father, I pray for the marriages that are here that are represented in this room and others listening in other places. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to thrive. I pray that you would keep us from, from being resistant and, and dug in to our own position and insisting on things my way, but rather we would be able to celebrate the union that we have one with another and that together we would not work as opponents, but that we would work as a team and that we would move ourselves forward. Lord, it's going to be complicated, and it's going to require day-by-day day and year-by-year year effort and intentionality. But where it's present, we can thrive. We can grow. And Lord, I would just pray that you would work in all of our hearts, in all of our relationships, that they would honor you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.